you'd like to turn then to Romans chapter 14, it's our passage for this morning. It's a passage that is really all about how to protect relationships in the church, how to protect <coughs> relationships in the church, and the steps that we can take to avoid division when there are differences of opinion. What can we do to protect unity, fellowship in the church when there is a difference of opinion? And because the passage is about the church, it's about us. It's about us. Us in Oxford, us, you, at Belvedere, local churches. How do we protect unity, fellowship, when we have a difference of opinion? And we're going to look at the passage under three different headings. Firstly, a pastoral problem. A pastoral problem. Secondly, a theological perspective. And then thirdly, a practical outcome. So a a pastoral problem, a theological perspective, and a practical outcome. First of all, though, where do differences of opinion come from? Where do they come from? Well, they come from our differences. The differences that exist between us. Differences of background. Differences of age. Differences of gender. Differences of culture. Differences of education. Differences from our own life experience. The things that make us different inevitably create differences of opinion. And whenever there is difference, there can often be conflict. There can often be quarrels. That's true for wider society. It's true for Christians as well. So where do quarrels amongst Christians come from? Where do they come from? Well, they can come from a desire to be right, which comes from a bad place. A bad place. A belief that I'm right, and you are wrong, and I disagree, and I'm going to win the argument. Quarrels can come from that kind of attitude. An attitude of pride that says, I am right, you are wrong, I'm going to win this argument. That's not unique to Christians, of course. But quarrels amongst Christians can also come from a good place. A good place. A desire to be right, which comes from a good place. Because these things are important. Christianity, our faith, is important. And we should, as far as we can, get it right. We should understand what the Bible teaches about something and... Get it right. We should. The Bible teaches us God's will. We should know it. We should get it right. And so we have strong views, don't we, on what the Bible teaches, because these things are important. God has spoken. But we shouldn't allow these things to lead to quarrels and conflict. And it's interesting that the quarrels... And the issues that Paul talks about in chapter 14 are not significant doctrinal, theological issues at all. Paul isn't even talking about moral issues. What is right? What is wrong? What is good? What is bad? No. 
Paul, in Romans 14, is talking about disputable matters. Verse four, uh, chapter 14, verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Things that are disputable. Not theological, not biblical, in terms of what God has clearly said. Disputable things. Rome was, of course, a very cosmopolitan city, and the church in Rome was a cosmopolitan church. People of different ages, backgrounds, genders, life experiences, educations, all the things that make us different were exactly the same in Rome. Plus, in Rome, the church was made up of Jews, those from a Jewish background, and was made up of Gentiles as well, those from a non-Jewish background. And inevitably, when those two groups of people came together, there were differences of view, differences of opinion. And in chapter 14, Paul is talking about how to deal with those differences of opinion, these disputable matters. Paul is talking about how we reconcile ourselves with one another around these disputable matters. And as Paul tackles it in this chapter, what we find is the important thing is not to be right and to be seen to be right and to win the argument. No. In chapter 14, what Paul tells us is that the important thing is to get our relationships right. That's the important thing, to get our relationships with one another right. And we see that from the first verse. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes. Receive the one you disagree with, but not to dispute with them, not to argue with them. Avoid quarrels, is really what Paul is saying. Avoid quarrels. And so what he is talking about in Romans 14 is a pastoral problem. A pastoral problem. What was this pastoral problem that was causing quarrels in the church in Rome? Well, there were two groups of people in the church. Paul describes them as the weak, and he describes them as the strong. And clearly there is a problem between them. Verse 2. One believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Two groups, the weak and the strong. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. The one who eats should not despise the one who does not. Weak, weak Christian, weak Christian. And the one who does not eat should not judge the one who does. Libertarian. No morals, no standards. That's what Paul is saying. It's a pastoral issue. What Paul is criticising is their attitude to one another. Their attitude. Now, it's very tempting at this point to think to ourselves, now, am I weak or am I strong? Which camp do I, which camp do I fall into? Or it might be tempting to think, well, what's the 21st century equivalent of eating meat? Or as we go through the chapter, observing special days, or drinking wine, or not. What is the 21st century 
equivalent. Well, to think that way, I think, would be a mistake. Because the passage is not really about what we do on Sundays, or whether we go to the cinema, or what kind of car we drive, or how much we spend on clothes, or anything else. It's not even about what version of the Bible we use, or what types of songs we sing, or how we sing them. It's not about that at all. Because making those sorts of judgments is actually the opposite of what Paul is talking about here. Paul is saying that there is actually something much more important than being right or wrong about these things. So what is the passage about? Well, the key is to understand what the difference between the weak and the strong is. And as we'll see, there's not actually that much difference between them at all. Look at verse 5. Look at their practice. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Whatever they do, whether they esteem one day or not esteem another day, Paul says they should both be fully convinced in their own mind. They should be certain of their position. Paul doesn't take sides. He said that you should be fully, fully convinced of your position. Look at verse 6. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. For he gives, th- sorry, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat and gives God thanks. So whether you eat or whether you don't eat, both are doing it to the Lord. Both are giving thanks to God. So what's the difference between the weak and the strong? Not a lot, really. Not a lot, really. All these things are done to the Lord. After giving thanks to the Lord, they should be fully convinced in their own minds. So clearly, both the weak and the strong are brothers and sisters who are living for the Lord. They're doing what they believe God wants them to do, fully convinced in their own mind that this is God's will. That's that's what Paul is saying. Crucially, whether they eat meat or whether they don't eat meat, they're not sinning. Paul doesn't say stop or start. They're not sinning. So why does Paul describe one as weak and one as strong? Because there's an implication, isn't there, that one is better, dare I say, than the other, weak and strong? Well, remember that the church in Rome was made up of Jewish Christians and non-Jewish Christians. And it would seem that those who came from a Jewish background were much more careful about what they ate and what they drank and uh, about observing particular days in a particular way. Those from a Gentile background who didn't have that Jewish culture, who didn't have the law kind of ingrained within them, they didn't have that kind of baggage to to carry. They came from a completely different perspective. That's why there there were differences. Now look at what Paul says in verse 14. Verse 14. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. Paul says there is nothing unclean of itself. There is nothing intrinsically 
unclean, unholy about meat or wine. There is nothing good or bad about observing special days. And his point is that by abstaining, if you think you are glorifying God more by abstaining, then actually you've you've got that wrong, says Paul. That's actually error. It's a mistake. It's not sin. It's not sin. But it's error. It's not right. And this error, this lack of freedom, these scruples, if you like, this perhaps oversensitivity, made these Christians weaker. They had less understanding, perhaps, than their stronger brothers and sisters. So these are not moral questions. They're not moral questions. They're questions of spiritual maturity. They're pastoral questions. They're pastoral problems. Paul doesn't criticise anyone's attitude to meat or wine or special days. He doesn't criticise. What he talks about is relationship. What he criticises is their attitude to one another. Stop judging. Stop looking down with contempt. It's a pastoral issue. It's about relationships. Verse 3. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. The weak must not judge the strong for what they perceive as a lack of morality. The strong should not judge the weak because of what they see as unnecessary scruples, a lack of spiritual maturity. It's not a moral issue. It's a pastoral issue that Paul is dealing with here. It's actually all about relationships. Remember, though, remember, crucially, indisputable things, doubtful things, about drinking wine, not getting drunk. That's different. That's different. Disputable things. So Paul is providing pastoral advice, really, not moral guidance. Pastoral advice. These Christians in Rome, from their different backgrounds needed to find a way of getting along together in the church. It was a pastoral matter that Paul is is leading them through. And the interesting thing is that before Paul shows them what to do and how to to live, he comes from a theological perspective. He gets his theology book out and he leads leads them through some theology. So a theological perspective, point two, a theological perspective. And what Paul does in verse 7 is is that he stresses the lordship of Christ over all things. The lordship of Jesus over everything. Verse 7. None of us lives to himself. No one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you show your but why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul stresses the lordship of Jesus. He is Lord of all. Lord of the living, Lord of the dead. 
And Jesus lived and died so that he would be Lord over every aspect of our lives. Absolutely everything. Everything from life through through to death. He's the Lord of everything, from the living of the dead and the living. And then Paul talks about the judgment, the final judgment from verse 10. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, for it is written, As long as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another. Paul says we will all kneel before God. Paul says that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul says the books will be opened and we will all have our lives laid out before the Lord and he will judge us. That is true for everyone. And it's Christ that we stand before. It's Jesus. It's the risen Lord Jesus that Paul is speaking about. Verse 9, to this end Christ died and rose and lived again. And so verse 11, as I live, says the Lord, It's Jesus who is speaking. It's Jesus to whom we stand. Every knee will bow before the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Now Paul lifts this quote from Isaiah 45 and it's exactly the same as he quotes in Philippians, which is where we began our service this morning. It's what he quotes in Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 through to 11. That's where we began. But do you remember? Do you remember how Paul starts in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5? We remember what he talks about Jesus, don't we? Though in their very nature God didn't consider equality with God something to Yeah, we remember all that. But how does Paul start? How does Paul start? Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He's talking about relationships. Let not, sorry, verse 4, let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Paul is quoting this about Jesus, that the great, exalted Lord Jesus Christ, to whom every knee will bow, he's talking about it in the context of our relationships in the church, both in Romans and in Philippians. Paul points to Jesus, who actually is in a position to judge. We can't stand in judgment over one another, but Jesus is. Jesus does stand in that position. And what Paul is saying is be like him. Be like him. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Humble yourselves, He says, be like Jesus who humbled himself. We all stand before the judgment seat of God. Don't start judging one another, says Paul. Frankly, we've got bigger things to worry about when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ than whether we ate meat or not. We've got bigger things to be worried about. I suspect the Lord is not going to be terribly interested in our views on meat or anything else for that matter. Much more than he is about our relationships one 
with another. The issue will be not were we right, but how did we treat our brother and sister? Did we judge them? Did we look down with contempt upon them? Or did we love them? In Romans 14, Paul is asking us to be Christ-like. Didn't, Jesus didn't insist that he was right. He made himself nothing. He chose, if you will, to lose the argument. He was accused. He, choose, he chose not to defend himself. He chose to lose the argument so that we might be free. He would go to the cross and die for us. He was treated as though he was in the wrong. He was treated as the guilty one so that we could be forgiven. So let's not quarrel about meat or wine or special days. Let us think about Jesus. Because the issue is not so much whether we drink alcohol or go to the cinema or what particularly we do on a Sunday. God is particularly interested, more interested in our relationships with one another, whether we love one another. So a theological perspective, be like Jesus. And then, from verse four, sorry, verse 13, Paul gets practical. From verse 13, Paul gets practical. And he calls us to action. He says, this is what you should do. In fact, Paul says, this is, he gives us two actions. He says, these are two things that you should, that you should do. First is negative. The second is positive. First, the negative action. Verse 13. Let us not judge one another anymore. Stop passing judgment, says Paul. Stop passing judgment. The strong should stop despising the weak, and the weak should stop judging the strong. Stop it, says Paul. Stop it. In view of the fact that we are all to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, stop it. Each one shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another. We stand before the Lord. And he says it knowing that the strong are actually correct. The strong are actually right. Verse 14. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean in and of itself. Paul says, actually, the, the strong are right in this matter. Nevertheless, he says, nevertheless, lose the argument. Though you're right, lose the argument. Verse 14, I know I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus there is nothing unclean of itself, but, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, it is unclean. If your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil. You are right. You are right. There is nothing unclean about meat, but 
If it causes your brother to stumble, stop it. Just don't do it. Humble yourself for the sake of your brother or your sister. Lose the argument, says Paul. Because the rightness of our view is completely irrelevant if we are not loving one another. It's completely irrelevant. What did Paul say? If I can fathom all mysteries and have all knowledge, but do not have love, then I am nothing. I could be right on meat, I could be right on wine, I could be right on special days, I could be right on the cinema and on clothes and anything else you like, but if I have not love, if I'm judging or despising, then I am nothing. And Paul's language is incredibly strong here. Incredibly strong. Verse 15. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. And verse 16. Do not let your good be spoken of as evil. Evil is such a strong word. Evil. Verse 20. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Paul repeats it again. And we need to ask ourselves, don't we really, what is it that we're actually quarrelling about? In the context of destroying the faith of our brothers and sisters. What are we talking about? How relevant is it? Is it worth destroying the work of God for? Let us stop getting in the way of someone's faith it's hard enough it's hard enough to be Christ-like to be holy and pure without our brothers and sisters getting in our way judging us treating us with contempt it's hard enough to live a Christian life without those who are meant to be running the race with us judging condemning despising no we're not helping we're hindering so stop passing judgment says Paul, verse 13, let us not judge another anymore. Negative. Stop passing judgment. Instead, instead, says Paul, we should help one another. We should help one another. Verse 13, uh, second half of verse 13, rather, he says, resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. That's a positive cause to act call to action isn't it don't put a stumbling block don't put an obstacle in the way of your brother or sister no no help them along help them along that's a positive call change your behavior he says change your behavior verse 19 let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things which by, and the things by which one may edify another. Pursue. Pursue. There's effort involved here, isn't there? Do your best to pursue the path of peace and edify one another. Do the things that build one another up. We should be making every effort to encourage one another, to strengthen one another. Our energies should be poured into to, to, to building up one another in our faith because verse 17 the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking these things are not important but rather righteousness peace and joy in the Holy Spirit this is what God is interested in 
God is interested in our righteousness, in the peace that we have, the, we, the joy that we have, in our faith. This is what pleases him. Verse 18. He who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. So what Paul is saying is that our brothers and sisters are our priority. Not to be right in the matter of meat or wine or special days, no. Our brothers and sisters resolving not to put obstacles in one another's way. Resolving to build one another up in our faith. This is what is important. Anyone who serves Christ in this way pleases God. So let us respect one another's consciences. Let us build one another up. If your brother or sister does believe that going to the cinema is wrong, don't tell them how great the latest Star Wars film, Star Wars film was. No, that's not loving. If your brother or sister doesn't believe Christians should drink alcohol, don't tell them about the wine tasting you went to last weekend. Accommodate one another. Think about one another. If your brother or sister emphasises the need for a simple life, don't flaunt your new shoes on a Sunday morning. Let's accommodate one another. Because if you distress a brother or sister by the things that you think are right and good, and perhaps are right and good, then you destroy their faith. And Paul says, stop it. Verse 22, do you have faith? Are you strong, in other words? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Live your life in a considerate way towards your brothers and sisters in Jesus. Because the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking or special days or cinema or hobbies or clothes or anything else but righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And anyone who serves God in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. So a practical outcome. Stop passing judgment. Build one another up. A practical outcome. So, a pastoral problem, a theological perspective and a practical outcome. Our disagreements, which there will be, inevitably, because we're different sorts of people, but our disagreements pale into insignificance, don't they? Pale into insignificance when you consider what Jesus has done, how he humbled himself for us. And when we, ju- when we judge one another, or when we hold another in contempt because of what we do or say or think then what we're really saying is that I'm better than you I'm better than you because I do or don't do whatever it is and that's not what Jesus did was it and he was better than all of us he was perfect perfect in love perfect in holiness perfect in wisdom knew precisely what God's will was because he is God. Perfect. And yet he humbled himself. We cannot sit in judgment over one another. We have to humble 
ourselves and put our brother and sisters first. Do not, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or cause to fall in our brother's way. Because this is what pleases God. This is Christ-like. In our relationships, we should have the same mind as that of Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. And ultimately, ultimately, it's his judgment seat that we stand before. We have to be humble, don't we? We have to build one another up in love, because it's Christ to whom we answer, and it's 